Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Online gambling or iGaming is now legal and accessible, including on your phones and tablets. Tuesday was the day for the soft launch, and after a week, online gambling is expected to expand statewide. This comes just a couple weeks after Connecticut tribes open their sports betting parlors. Now, gamblers have a shot at making big money beyond the brick-and-mortar casinos, and Connecticut stands to gain much more, $100 million a year over the next five years, according to Lamont. But how much will some residents lose because of online gambling and sports betting? Today, where we live, we talk about gambling addiction. Later, we'll hear from groups who help problem gamblers. First, joining us on Zoom is Tom Ferrari. He's a resident of Meriden, Connecticut, and he's recovering from a gambling and substance addiction. Tom, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Our listeners can also join 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Tom, when did you first uh, realize that you had a problem uh, with gambling? When did the addiction start? Yeah, um, I would say in high school, uh, probably around my sophomore or junior junior year. Um, I immediately knew that I loved gambling and that it could definitely lead to a problem. So it pretty much started... Um, immediately for me and once i was once i got a job and you know i was earning a paycheck um that's when i started gambling when you said you started in high when you said you started in high school talk about how you went about gambling because we hear from people now that gambling has expanded they're worried about uh, youth also doing this and so talk about how you got around some of the legal limits yeah so um it was pretty old school when I started gambling. You know, you bet with a bookie, a local bookie. Um, you didn't need uh, any credit. You 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 know you bet, you know, based off a of trust that you could pay. Um, and you know, we had a local bookie that was a, an acquaintance, so it was very easy for me to gamble. It was a phone call, it was a text message, um, and that's how it worked. And you know, eventually, you know, either you paid uh, or he paid you. So it was a very simple way to gamble. Obviously, right now it's a lot easier to gamble. Um, but for me, that that's how it started. All it took was for me to to reach out to one person and put a bet in, and that's how how we did it. How successful were you? Or was this something where you started to see that you were gaining a lot of debt? And, and how did you get out of it, Tom? Uh, well, I, I'm a bad gambler. <laughs> it wasn't very often that I collected. Um, and so, uh, you know, understanding the the uh, the downfalls of gambling were pretty immediate to me. Um, I almost grew comfortable losing money. Um, I just expected it. Um, I always had this illusion that eventually I would win and I'd win a lot and, and I'd be satisfied with, with, with winning and walk away. But that was kind of a pipe dream. 
so um, immediately I was, um, you know, I understood the the negative effects in in a in a weird way. I became comfortable in in losing my money. I just thought that was almost a part of life. Sadly. And you said when you when you got a job, things started to, to spiral more out of control because you had this uh, income coming in, and then you were also gambling, Tom. Yeah, correct. Um, you know, I was used to to getting paid and immediately handing the money to someone else. I thought that was almost normal. I thought that winning was was very rare, um, which it was for me. So I just grew accustomed to to losing money. And obviously there's, you know, a lot of pitfalls to losing your, you know, losing money. Um, it became a rat race of finding out how to how to gain money to pay off your debts and continue to keep gambling because nothing really deterred me from gambling, whether I lost or won. I just, you know, I just kept doing it. Mm. Why do you think that that was that you were, uh, you know, like you said, you weren't being deterred and were there people around you that saw that you had a problem or was this something that you that you were able to keep private? Um, it was a little bit of both. Um, I, I kind of gained the reputation um, that I was a gambler and, you know, I'm sure people knew that, you know, I wasn't doing very well. You know, I would I would vent to people. Um, but eventually, um, as I got older, gambling became uh, very private for me. I didn't let people know, you know, people knew I gambled, but I wouldn't talk about it because I was, you know, kind of ashamed at, at what I was doing um, and how it was, it was kind of making my life unmanageable. Um, so it did become very private. Uh, you know, it's very easy to just stay, stay at home, stay in a bedroom and gamble. You don't really need um, to be around anyone. And I know at least for me, I, I didn't want to be around anyone when I was gambling. I, I kind of uh, secluded myself into my own little world of, you know, of gambling. When we talk with others who've struggled with addiction, they'll say that, you know, sometimes talking about their their problem, their disease, it's not that easy. And they worry about how people will judge them. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, um, yeah, because because for me it it really made me feel ashamed at the person I became. Um, I lost confidence in myself because I knew I had no self control, um, and I would have to go to people to borrow money. So I felt ashamed at having to do that. So, you know, for me it really made me feel like a bad person. And I was becoming something that I knew I wasn't, you know, I like to, to think of myself as being dependable, reliable, um, you know, friendly and gambling made me the opposite. It kind of turned me into an animal and made me not very enjoyable to be around. So there was a lot of shame to what I was doing, but I couldn't help myself. I'm talking with Tom Ferrari here on Where We Live. He lives in Meriden, and he's talking about um, when he struggled with a gambling addiction. He's now in recovery. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk more about some of the treatment options available in our state, and we're talking about all of this because uh, we know that gambling, the options, the ways to gamble have expanded in our state now that online gambling and sports betting um, um, is accessible now and legal. You can join our conversation, 888 720 
seven or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So Tom, what was the breaking point? How much debt did you rack up where you realized, you know, I've got a problem and I need help? Um, well, I knew I had a problem for a while and I would rack up a lot of debt and find ways to, to pay it off in order to keep gambling. Um, by the very end, uh, I had um, graduated to taking out cash advancements on credit cards. Um, and at the very end, um, I had about $15,000 worth of debt on a credit card, uh, not to mention debts where I owed other people money. So when I finally hit my rock bottom, that's, that's where I was at. I, I, you know, I, was, I owed a, a lot of money to other people, not to mention paying off a credit card. Um, so that was that was where i was at at the very um end of my gambling unfortunately when it comes to gambling when you finally do get into recovery you still owe people money so you're constantly reminded of of your addiction uh even when you get better you still have to pay you know your debts off at the very end and it, it could take a long time so who did you turn to for help um i reached out to better choice um, I had, a you know, an angel <laughs> in a way, her name is Katie and she got me help immediately. She was my therapist. She, you know, she was there to listen. Um, I saw her every week on a Wednesday for an hour, uh, for years until I was able to kind of see her every two weeks and then once a month and the better choice program gave you every resource that you needed to help with your recovery if you took advantage of it. So I kind of cocoon myself into recovery by, by working the program. And it was, it was definitely what I needed to continue to, to stop gambling. It, it really, really saved my life. You mentioned the Better Choice program. We're going to be hearing from one of the peer counselors of that program um, that helps people who are struggling with gambling addiction, and it's also funded by the state of Connecticut. Uh, Tom, so how are you doing today, can I ask? I'm doing great. I have nothing to complain about. Life is very good for me. It's structured. I need structure. Um, you know, I have a great uh support system. My wife is my number one cheerleader. Um, life's, I mean, honestly, life's, I, I have nothing to complain about. You know, I, I've been blessed. Uh, my life immediately got better. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say immediately got better because again, you're left with a, with a mountain of debt, but my life immediately got better. Um, I gained my self-esteem back. Um, I became confident in myself. And, and as of right now, waking up today, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have another day and life is good. I, I really can't complain about anything. So it sounds like you were able to repair some of the relationships with family um, when you had reached your rock bottom. Correct. Yeah. Um, again, for me, it all came down to getting to the point where, I, I you know, I gain my self-confidence back where I start to, to, to respect myself and, and respect the face I saw in the mirror. And, and that was the best part of recovery is being able to eventually reach the point where I was, I kind of got away from my old self and I was able to create a new chapter in my life and, and a new, a, a new reputation. And 
I wasn't known as Tom Ferrari, the gambler. I was known as Tom Ferrari, the person. Um, so the crossover to, to, to that phase of my life was, was uh, definitely the, a very important step in my recovery to put that in the past. What do you want our listeners uh, to think about, or even policymakers who may be listening uh, again uh, with gambling expanding in our state, you know, there is the danger that other people will also have the same struggle that you did, Tom. Yeah. You know, with the legal legalization of gambling, you know, I I've always said to people, you know, there's nothing wrong with you gambling if you're able to, you know, to not get yourself in trouble. You know, if you could gamble, you know, I guess, quote, unquote, responsibly, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with gambling, but there's a lot of people like me out there where the legalization of gambling is so dangerous. It's just another avenue to get yourself in trouble. And, you know, I understand why the state legalized gambling. It's another way to, to, you know, to, to, I guess, you know, collect money where you're able to disperse it, hopefully for good for the state. But, it's so dangerous for someone like me in recovery or, or other people who, who are currently gambling and, and, you know, they're getting themselves into trouble. You know, to me, it's very black and white. When you legalize gambling, you're, you're just giving someone who has a, a problem or someone who's trying to recover another avenue to, to slip up. And, you know, again, if you could gamble responsibly, you know, God bless you. I, but that's not me. I was never able to do that. So this is a this is going to be an issue for for people who are struggling right now or people who are trying to stay clean. It, it's not a good thing. It, it's not. For anyone who can't gamble responsibly, this is not a good thing. You're hearing Meriden resident Tom Ferrari, my guest today, as we talk about problem gambling now that there are more options to gamble in our state. Uh, Tom's going to stay with us as we continue this conversation after the break. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. This programming note, Connecticut Public Radio reporter Frankie Graziano will look at changes in sports betting and gambling in our state in a special documentary, Cutline, The Big Gamble. That's next Thursday, October 21st at 8 p.m. on CPTV. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. 
So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed. And in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With us on Zoom today is Tom Ferrari. He's a Meriden resident who's in recovery for a gambling addiction. Uh, Tom told us that sports gambling is an isolated disease. You can just stay home and gamble. It's a very isolated addiction. We're talking about this today now that sports betting and online gambling is legal in Connecticut. Joining us now on Zoom is Melody Keene, Clinical Manager of Gambling Services at Connecticut Renaissance. This is a treatment program that provides services in Norwalk, Stamford, and Bridgeport. Melody, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, we heard Tom describe for us when he started gambling. It was when he was in high school. And so is this typical for, for the people that you're helping, Melody? Um, I, I actually treat people of all ages. Um, but yes, there's been an influx of younger people. Um, I think some of that is attributed to COVID, you know, the pandemic and, and people sort of, or kids particularly being bored, not much to do, access to their phones or tablets, computers. Um, so the accessibility and ease of gambling um, is there for them. There is also um, a gaming issue for kids particularly, and actually older people as well, um, which seems to intersect with gambling. There are a lot of components in various games that uh, parallel gambling. Can you describe that for us? Sure. Um, I can give you a couple of examples. Um, There's something called a skin, which is, is basically a decorative item which players could use to customize their weapons or, or their characters. Um, and some of these skins are, are pretty rare, some exceptionally rare, and it, it gives them uh, enormous value. And you know, with the value comes prestige, where players within a community um, you know, demonstrate their skills, builds self-esteem, you know, owning the most valuable skin. Um, and these skins are, are traded or bought. Um, and, you know, they could wager on skins as well. There's also something in gaming called loot boxes that can be purchased, which are very akin to slot machines. So somebody could buy a loot box, but they don't know if in return, what they get will be a value or not. So it's kind of like, you know, pulling the arm on a, a slot machine. You don't know if you're going to win or lose. And, and that's essentially the, the definition of gambling, you know, play or using something of value, typically money, but it could be property, anything, um, and not knowing the outcome. So, um, you know, some of these loot boxes that are purchased are worth enormous amounts of money, you know, thousands. So there's also social casinos where people bet with virtual currency. 
and then they could purchase additional virtual currency with money. And um, a lot of times these things just morph into gambling and oftentimes problematic gambling and addiction. It's sort of a gateway for people. And, and Melody, when we, when we think about kids and how a lot of these um, options uh, that you're mentioning, you know, they say it's for 18 and over, but is it pretty easy for, for uh, young people to get around that? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, it's a click of a button to say that you're 18 or over and, you know, to plug in a birth date, very easy. Also with us on Zoom is Barbara Kalpin. She's a peer counselor with the Better Choice Program. This is something Tom mentioned earlier um, at UCFS Healthcare in Norwich, Connecticut. This is a gambling-specific treatment program. And Barbara is also in recovery from a gambling addiction. Barbara, welcome to our show. Hi. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what we've uh, heard so far, you know, is really troubling. And I'm wondering, as someone who understands uh, what it's like uh, to be in a spiral, to have a gambling addiction and the consequences, can you talk about, you know, this moment that we're in in, in Connecticut with expanded options out there? Uh, it, for me, it's scary, you know, having lived it and lived the consequences of it. Um, but, you know, we take, it, you know, the hope is that we're gambling neutral. We're not for it or against it here at Better Choice. But the hope is that if people, you know, find that they're, they're having problems or whatever, that we are making the public aware that we have these services for them and that there is help and there is hope, you know, and they're not going down that spiral. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the state funds these programs. And so tell me about some of the treatment options out there for people who reach out to you. For us, we have um, treatment may include individual treatment, group uh, treatment, marital and family therapy. Um, as a peer counselor, I'm able to give them the support and advocacy. And, you know, depending on the, the person and what they need, I can, you know, steer them to and get them the help they need, whether it's financial, sometimes legal, sometimes housing, um, whatever their consequences of their gambling may be. I had asked Tom earlier to talk about, you know, his breaking point. What was it for you? How did you know that um, either you needed help or that um, there were consequences to some of what you were doing? Um, my breaking point, I was a gambler sort of like Tom all my life. Um, never thought about it being an issue or whatever, because, you know, when you get a job and you have the money and whatever, it, it just becomes fun. It becomes vacations, et cetera. And, it got for me, not until my 40s, um, I found myself gambling more. And, you know, it's that perfect storm for a lot of people of life circumstances, things, you know, the external factors that are going on in their lives that sometimes become too much for them. And then they go to the gambling as the escape. You know, it's the fun thing for them to do to, to forget all their other problems. Um, which was my case. And it got to where a couple of years starting like 2007, where I started gambling out of control to solve all my other problems. Um, mine, you know, took me on a, a bad spiral um, where it became into legal actions. And I suffered all those consequences. Um, at that point, I had called 
I bro- just broke down and, you know, saw the uh, CCPG hotline, called the 1-800 hotline number, and they connected me with the Better Choice program. Um, and just like Tom, you know, to me, the Better Choice program was my savior. I don't know if I would be here today if it wasn't for them stepping in, taking over, giving me all the support I needed to get through this. And so you mentioned that, you know, your breaking point led you into the, the legal system and there's mm-hmm. now consequences that um, that you're living through now. Um, but when people hear your story, I mean, oftentimes, you know, they've already gotten to their breaking point. And so just giving them a, a, a message that, you know, they can recover from this. This does not mean this is the end of your life when you've got all these stressors on you now, this debt, uh, broken relationships, uh, legal trouble. Correct. Absolutely. That's the hope. That's as a peer counselor, we provide that lived experience to the people we help. And hopefully my goal is to show them that there's hope. You can get through this. It's not an easy road, of course, and it doesn't instantly go away. You know, you're constantly living with it, but there is hope. You can get on and be happy again and have a future. Uh, Melody, I wanted to go back to you uh, because when we think about, again, the state expanding gambling, uh, but, you know, supposedly there are ways that individuals can self-exclude, you know, what's the process? And again, is that putting the onus on the individual versus, you know, the government that expands and allows these programs to happen because, you know, they're reaping the benefits that, you know, high revenue and, you know, they talk a lot about jobs in our state, but the, you know, the, the human consequences to this. Yeah. Uh, There is a, what they call a self-exclusion process uh, for our two casinos, which by the way, are the largest in the world. um, Where, and it is a process. It's not that easy. Um, but where someone can um, basically ban themselves from one or both of the casinos. So if they ban themselves from Ohegan, for example, they could still go to Foxwoods unless they self-exclude from there as well. Um, at Mohegan, you could self-exclude for one year or five years. And at Foxwoods, they have an option of five years or permanently. Um, that's actually changed. There used to be, I believe, a three-year option. Um, so that you know, that's one way where a consumer can protect themselves. But again, they have to initiate that. A dealer or a machine, you know, a slot machine is not going to tell someone, you know, you've been playing for ten hours. Maybe it's time to take a break or, you know, you've lost this amount of money. Maybe it's time to go home. Um, You know, money in the casinos is readily accessible. You know, there's machines um, to take out money, ATM machines. There, There are people in the casino, you know, that work at the casino where you could take money out, um, just write a check. So... I think it's really important, especially with the advent of the um, sports and online gambling, that there are more protective measures. I think it's very important, as Tom alluded to. 
Barbara, I wanted to get your take, you know, should casinos be doing more to address this? You know, you know, as, as Melody mentioned, if you're at a bar and you've had too much, often they'll cut you off, but that doesn't happen at a casino. Well, I think they're, they try, they're trying and that's the benefit. And the more we are able to make them aware that, you know, of the problem gamblers and give them the support they need. I believe that will, you know, that will help everybody and it, and it will, you know, the casinos will expand on that. The whole idea is to make them aware that there are services out there for people that have the problem. I wanted to mention we reached out to both tribes to ask them about the current measures to help prevent problem gambling. Uh, we heard back from Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Chair Rodney Butler, who said a safe and responsible gaming experience is a top priority at Foxwoods. And in addition to working with the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling alongside DraftKings, they're committing millions of dollars to promote safer play initiatives, and they're leveraging technology, employee training, and evidence-based research to enhance these efforts. Uh, Tom Ferrari is still with us. Uh, Tom, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm actually uh, interested in, in that because I'm I'm curious to know how they could monitor this and. Um, prevent people from, I guess, gambling more than, than they have, or if they can notice, you know, um, patterns with, with an individual who's gambling too much. Um, I'm also interested to know how the casino is doing that. Um, I, you know, I, I imagine if, if you bet through DraftKings, um, you can't bet on credit. Well, I don't, you know, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. And, And I really hope that they're investing in, hoping to prevent someone from from spiraling spiraling out of control um but i i'm just curious to know how they are going to do that um i wish that there was people uh or resources that were there to to help me from (laughs) from doing that but anything that they're investing to help people um get themselves in trouble i'm all for Barbara Kalpin, again, peer counselor at the Better Choice Program. For people who want to learn more about uh, these programs, what's the best way to find it? Uh, the prob- If you go to the um, DMIS, the Problem Gambling Services at the State of Connecticut website, they have um, a great website uh, that gives all info and it gives all our Better Choice regions because we're throughout the state of Connecticut. We have the five regions. Um, you, you, you know, if you know where down here at UCFS, they can do go right onto our website and find out about it. The hotline is all over the, the 188-789-7777 hotline number is all over the place. Um, you know, so even if people just want to know where can I get services or I think I might have a problem, call that hotline number because they will refer you to whatever you need. And we'll be sure to send out some links on our social media at where we live uh, to that website and also share that hotline. Barbara Kelpin, thank you for your time. Also, Melody Keene was here, who's with Connecticut Renaissance, a treatment program providing services to Norwalk, Stanford, and Bridgeport. And Tom Ferrari, who lives in Meriden. Tom, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us, and we're so happy to hear you're doing better. I appreciate that. Thank you.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithansha. We're going to continue talking about problem gambling after the break. But a quick reminder, it's Connecticut Public Radio's fall membership campaign. Where we live brings you conversations with residents about our state and issues that matter to our communities. Support this program with a pledge. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about problem gambling in the context that gambling options have expanded in Connecticut with sports betting and online gambling now available. Again, it launched a soft launch and it'll be expanded online gambling statewide soon. Joining us now on Zoom is Diana Good. She's executive director of the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. So, uh, you know, this the train has left the station, right? Uh, we know <laughs> that sports betting and, and, and online gambling is here. And I'm just wondering if you can talk about, you know, what are some of your concerns are with these expanded options and some of the measures that are in place or should be taken to help people before they have, uh, you know, lifetime consequences related to gambling addiction. Absolutely. And I just want to start by saying the Connecticut Council isn't for or against gambling. We are not the fun police. We aren't here to tell people how to spend their disposable income. We just want to make sure as gambling becomes easier and more accessible that there are safeguards in place. Lots of people gamble and it's fun. We aren't worried about those people. We're worried about the people who gamble and it's not fun. Um, So as gambling becomes easier, we want to make sure that there's funding in place, uh, both for the Connecticut Council Helpline and for programs like Better Choice. Because you could hear both from Tom and Barbara how much Better Choice really makes a difference for people. I know, Diana, that uh, you've been at this post for a while. Why not take a harder stance on this when we know that, you know, there, I guess I mentioned, when we hear stories from Tom and Barbara that, you know, for people that have an addictive personality, this is like the worst case scenario to have these options out there. And it really isn't a fair fight for us. We we are not qualified to go up against the casinos or the lottery or sports tech. You know, we have an office of three people, budget of less than a million dollars. So it's not a fair fight is the reason we take the stance that we take. We also rely on the operators to work with us. And if we took a harder stance, I think they would be more reluctant to work with us. Um, One of the things that we just did over the last year and a half is come up with a responsible gambling logo that really highlights our helpline number. And at first I thought, well, we should hire an outside advertising agency that will help us do this. And then I realized some of the best marketing people work at the casinos and sports tech and the lottery. So I thought, why don't we all get together? We don't have any explaining to do about what the messaging is. And we can come up with a logo that really highlights the fact that there is a helpline in Connecticut. Um, So we did that. And again, if we had a harder stance, we wouldn't have been able to bring all those people together, not just to develop this logo, but now to market this logo. So part of the regulations that the Department of Consumer Protection um, just approved includes that all advertising for gambling includes this logo and our helpline number and also directs people to our website for online chat. So. I totally get it that it's kind of strange that we work hand in hand with all the operators, um, but it just makes our messaging so much better. 
So when we talk about online gambling, earlier I was talking with the guests about this self-exclusion. An individual can say, you know what, I've got a problem, ban me from this casino. But when it comes to online gambling, what are the measures now that we know that people can pick up their phone, their tablet, it's there? Um, the Department of Consumer Protection has worked on a self-exclusion piece for online. So you can log on to their website, you can get it from our website, you can get it from the Department of Mental Health's website, and you put your name on that list, and then you can't set up an account with DraftKings or FanDuel or Rust Street. Um, the only thing that we're really concerned with is, I've said all through the legislative process, we are not good at self-exclusion in this state. And although we may be a little bit better with the self-exclusion online, we're still not really good at this because it's still really difficult to self-exclude from everything. You need to go to the Department of Consumer Protection website and self-exclude from online. Then you need to go to the Foxwoods website and exclude there. Then you need to go to Mohegan and exclude there. And what if you only want to exclude from the casinos, but not online. What we really are advocating for is one-stop shopping, one form that's got a menu of options of what you do and you don't want to exclude from. Uh, when we think about that this has launched uh, sports betting and online gambling, uh, are there gonna, is there, I guess, enough programs out there uh, when you see an increased need? I mean, do you see that coming down the line, Diana, that we're going to be hearing from more residents that are struggling? We've already started hearing from more residents that are struggling. A lot of people are really concerned about the ease of access that the online brings. One of the statistics we used before this is if you live within 40 miles of a casino, the odds would double that you were going to have a problem with gambling. Starting today, everyone has a casino in their house. So we really believe that there's going to be an increase in problems. We don't expect a big increase today or next week because it takes a little while for people to reach rock bottom. You know, you hear Hear stories like Tom and Barbara, they gambled for a while before they really realized this was out of control. They're in more debt than they ever imagined they could be in. And then they reach out for help. So the good thing about this, if there's a good thing, is we have some time to get our act together. We have some time to make sure we have enough staffing in place for the helpline and to make sure that better choice programs um, are covered across the entire state so that when people do raise their hand and say they have help, we're ready to go. Uh, you know, as a parent, listening to Tom talk about all the ways to get around the age limits, hearing Melody say, all you have to do is click on a link that says you're 18 and over and you're in. I mean, that's problematic. Should there be more done to keep youth from, you know, gambling online? You know, are there are measures that other states have that maybe Connecticut could model? There are measures in place that Connecticut also has, which is age, age verification. You have to upload your driver's license, and that driver's license has to match the credit card that you use. Um, so that safeguard is in place. I mean, I have three kids. I can't tell you it's a perfect system because I've seen what my kids have been able to do. Um, so there are more safeguards that we're hoping um, consumer protection will put in place in the lottery. Um, but right now there is age, age verification in place. Hmm. Well, that's good. To one hear. of the interesting things is, is the whole age question at all. Um, we were hoping that there was one consistent age to gamble. Like there's one consistent age to drink 
and purchase medical marijuana. And that's not the case with gambling. You can be 18 and still do fantasy sports online and still buy lottery tickets. You have to be 21 to get into FanDuel, DraftKings and Rush and Rush Street or to go physically to the casino. So that in itself is is a problem um, because you just aren't really sure what the actual age is and it's opening the door to kids who are 18 for sure. Mm. So you mentioned your group is neutral, but is this something that you'd like to see lawmakers maybe address down the line? Should it be 21, not 18? Or is this because you're now partnering, you know, the, the state's now partnering with these commercial businesses uh, that, you know, this is how it's done? You know, we advocated all through the process to have a consistent age of 21, um, but we didn't get that. We're going to keep trying. Absolutely. Um and as difficult as all of this is for problem gamblers and for people who may have a problem gambling, I think the legislators really took us very seriously this year. Um, a lot of them reached out to us in a way they didn't reach out to us three years ago. Are there uh, programs that other states may have to reach young people? You know, I remember in high school way back when, you know, there was the D.A.R.E. program and, and you know, hearing, making sure that it's important to not uh, drink while, uh, you know, drive while drinking and intoxicated, but really helping children realize that, you know, there are some big consequences here and to not get into this before it's too late. That's definitely something we've been working on the last three years. Um, I started the council about three and a half years ago, and, and I thought the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling was the best kept secret in the state, which is not how you want to run your nonprofit. So one of the things we've been working on is being a question on the survey. So many students have all of these surveys about risky behavior, drugs, alcohol, sex, guns, and we wanted to be on that survey. And we've worked really hard to be on that survey, which we're really proud of. Um, so we're working a lot with schools. We're doing a whole Fox 61 um, campaign over the next two years. It really targets kids and they can make their own TV commercials and PSAs about problem gambling along with some other um, addictions and nonprofits as well. So I think we've come a long way, but there's always more work to do, um, especially right now. In a lot of ways, parents have been encouraging screen time and we just really want to make sure that parents understand the dynamics of what they are encouraging and just to pay we'll attention. To, we'll have to leave it there. Diana Good, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling. We'll probably be talking to you again in a few months. Let's see how this all rolls out. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time as well. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, Test Terrible produced today's show. Just want to remind you, it's Connecticut Public Radio's Fall Membership Drive. Uh, we can't bring you these kinds of conversations uh, without your support. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more.